Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Andre from Mental Health. It's IASP 2019, and I'm here with Bronwyn Edwards and Joe Riley, two of the Australian delegates here at the conference. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi. I'm uh, Bronwyn Edwards. I'm the founding CEO of Roses in the Ocean, which is a lived experience organisation in Australia. Hi, I'm Joe Riley. I'm the lived experience participation manager at the Black Dog Institute in Australia. Great. Thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, we just saw what I thought was a brilliant lived experience panel discussion that you chaired, Bronwyn. Um, what did you take away from that? I think that the, the most uh, important point out of that is that there's still, we've still got a way to go, um, but I think there's really goodwill on both sides of both lived experience and the clinicians and the research um, uh, you know, environment to actually come together and, and continue to break down those barriers and work together. So I think there's still, you know, I think there's a lot of um, opportunity and, and a lot of hope in that happening. How about you, Joe? You watched that. What did you think of the, the stories that were shared and some of the comments that were made? Yeah, I'd, I agree with that. And I mean, every speaker was very courageous and, and what they shared um, was very powerful, the experiences that they'd had, especially, I guess it comes down, it does come down to discrimination and prejudice and the various forms of stigma. Um, but they also, I think, demonstrated so clearly how people with lived experience were able to contribute as well, that um, there's this level of insight that is a different thing that gets brought to the table and can be interwoven with clinical skills and insights or research skills and insights, but it also can be a standalone thing as well, a form of expertise that is lacking in those other areas. And so if we're bringing the strengths of each area to the table, then I think we stand a chance of getting to a point where we can actually help everyone stay alive. I guess we've seen massive changes in the last couple of decades in stigma reduction, but it really struck me, De Quincey and Emma particularly were talking about kind of coming from a place of privilege um, and, you know, also coming from a place of discrimination and stigma in De Quincey's case. But I I thought that's a really key point. How do we involve people with lived experience of suicide who don't come from that privileged position? Have you got ideas about that? I think it's about providing people with a whole range of ways in which to have their voices heard. You know, not, um, not everybody is going to want to stand up on, a, on an ES stage and share their experience. And uh, as De Quincey talked about as well, you know, there, there are people who want their voices heard but still don't feel like they can publicly do that. So I, I think it's about creating that um, safe and supportive environment for people to share uh, and feel like they can contribute. Uh, and but when they do, we have to make sure that what they do share is actually then utilised, and they get feedback on how their contribution has made a difference. You know, it's not just about let's just hear those stories and that was lovely, um, and we'll just keep doing what we're doing. So, um, very much important about you know having very clear expectations about what's going to happen with the information that you share, and um, uh, and making sure that there's the right wraparound support for people to do so. And I guess we're also really kind of good at listening to nice recovery stories now, nicely compartmentalised and, oh, I had a hard time, but fortunately it's all okay now. But, you know, Emma's point was we really need to start listening to the messy, complicated stories as well. Have you got examples of of that challenge and how you've overcome it? Oh, look, um, to me that's really about the purpose of the story that you're telling and the finding the right place for each story it 
may not be appropriate, and I think um, Dr Emma sort of alluded to this too, that to be sharing the incredibly messy, complex story, you know, in a media article, that might not be the best place because of the evidence that we know it can have, um, the impact that it can have on vulnerable people. So, but there's no reason why those stories aren't appropriate and shouldn't be heard. You know, when you're coming together and sitting at a table with clinicians and researchers and other people and actually, you know, being able to share those and going more deeply into those stories and, and allowing people to reflect on what went wrong and how we can do better. So I think it's about what experience it is that you're sharing in what place and for what purpose. And in mental health services and research, certainly in the UK, I'm not sure how it works in Australia, we, we seem to have this kind of, yes, we do that now attitude. Um, you know, it's in all the annual reports and on all the websites. But when you actually scratch a little bit beneath the surface and find out what they are doing, it's not really proper co-production and lived experience. So give us a picture of your work and what you would consider good practice? Um, so the work that Rose in the Ocean does is more broad around, um, I guess, to, to building capacity of people with lived experience to actually get involved, um, creating opportunities and the supports around them to do so, and then being able to bring, um, bring those voices and all that grassroots insight that we get from all of that capacity building work into what we feel is a very privileged position now where we do actually have um, the ear of governments and large organisations to be able to be a conduit for those voices. So um, Joe will absolutely be able to talk more specifically around the changes in research, um, which is incredibly exciting in, in Australia. Um, from a broad perspective, um, the engagement and the absolute appetite for engagement in Australia of people with lived experience is phenomenal. It's incredibly exciting. Um, it's happened, uh, you know, it's been coming for years, but it's really only been a significant change in the last three years. But we now do see lived experience involved uh, in advising investment priorities, policy, um, into research, which Joe can talk about more specifically, program design, service design. Um, it, they really are infiltrating everywhere now. So it's it's very exciting. There's lots to learn, lots more to do. But we, I do believe we have all in all shifted from that scratch-the-surface tokenistic to um, a general desire to do that a lot more meaningfully. Um, come, comes with that, though, is the need for us to support those people who are wanting to do that as well because it's new for them too. So once again, it's so important to be working together. So that kind of capacity building, grassroots work, how do you make sure that that reaches the people that we really need to reach and involve? Well, in Australia we've got um, the country divided into 31 you know, primary health networks. They all have certain remits around suicide prevention. Um, the vast majority of them are wanting to engage people from their local areas who have lived experience. Um, and by lived experience, we actually, in Australia, it's a little bit different because um, we collectively mean people who've made attempts on their life or have experienced suicidality, lost someone to suicide or, or cared for a loved one through crisis. So we're really looking at that whole um, gamut of lived experience. So, uh, you know, I think um, the way that we're doing it is because it's being done uh, extensively across the country. And so every week there are people with lived experience um, being engaged, being given some additional skills in terms of how to use their lived experience. Um, and, and as an organisation, we're trying to collect all of that qualitative 
data. I hate calling it data, but that, all those incredible um, stories and insight and wisdom and, and then collecting that and then being able to pass it on and use that wherever it's most appropriate. Great. Joe, give us a bit of the researcher's perspective then. Inspire some researchers who are listening to this who are thinking, I'd love to get more into this, but I'm not sure how. Okay. Um, I'll try. <laughs> I'll do my best. Look, I think I'll talk about what's going on at my own organisation, the Black Dog Institute, and in particular in the suicide prevention space, picking up with the Centre for Research Excellence in Suicide Prevention, which we call CRESP for short, so that's what I'm referring to. Um, so really, I think what we've done there is we had a a systematic um, review of the evidence done around um, involving people with lived experience. It was more broad, it was mental health and health kind of participation in program delivery, everything, as well as research. Um, and so we had that framework, which is called the Lifespan Lived Experience Framework. And so because it was kind of this really neat summary of the evidence base, I think that was a really critical thing for the organisation that I work in, which is a medical research institute evidence-based we get that it speaks our language and so which I think is a really important thing to think about because it's that first step of culture and culture change and you need to understand where who you were working with and what that environment is so that was a really key driver there um, with that then we've been able to look at how we would set up a centre for research excellence and applying the principles from that evidence-based framework so it's really interesting actually that what we've got within there and Bronwyn is actually involved in this as well um, with a partnership with Roses in the Ocean and then also herself as an individual person with lived experience advising through that so there was um, in the original proposal there was actually dedicated funding allocated to a lived experience resource centre which is amazing you know like five years ago, like pinch me, this wouldn't have happened. Um, and so we've, you know, for a start, I think that that's a really important thing that again, it's thinking about the culture and it's thinking about what drivers are needed to make this happen. So that resource centre at its heart is going to be, I think of it as like an internal consultancy an enabling unit to be helping the people with lived experience and the researchers work together. Because as you've heard Bronwyn speak, her organisation is doing a lot of this capacity building for the, and readiness and preparing um, the people with lived experience to work together. We'll also be within this centre, be working with the researchers as well. I find there's an incredible appetite amongst our researchers to work with people with lived experience. Many of them, as with all of the suicide prevention sector, have lived experience themselves. That's why they're brought into it. They get it. They understand why it's important. They just don't know how to do it. And a lot of that's just fear and, and it's the uncertainty, you know. It's being consciously incompetent about that. So with this um, unit, we'll be looking at actually equipping them to work together. And so, uh, you know, it's a staged process. By the end of five years, we hope to get somewhere really fantastic. But for now, we're focusing on building the relationships and working together to look at how we need to change the culture. Um, we're then sort of starting to involve people with lived experience in, I guess, I'm going to just name it as positions of power, really, because I think for me, that's where it really comes down to. It's giving people power and letting them know where they are able to contribute to where the decisions are made. So we're doing that at various levels in the organisation with the view that in the end, we want people with lived experience involved right from the idea conception about what, what's a good research project right through the process through to translating that and getting it into practical use out in the community to help affect real change and then taking it into that cycle back again about what's the next thing to research. So it's 
various things going on with that, a whole series of lived experience advisors. But right now I have a small um, three people who are on a lived experience of crisis and aftercare. They're a lived experience advisory group and they are, have about 10 projects on their plate at the moment, which is quite incredible given it started in May and they've already been named in research proposals. So, and they will just travel right through that process with each of those research projects providing advice. We, I work with them to ask them where they want to get involved, what type of advice they want to give, where they think that they can contribute, and we do that in conjunction with the research. It really is just sitting around the table and talking. In the end, it's not that hard once you get over the fear and start to build the confidence of people to work together. So that's kind of our big journey of where we're looking at heading, and then we're also looking at evaluating all of that because we're researchers and we love to do research because we want to learn about what impact it has both on the people with lived experience and the research that we produce there as well. So we can see and we can learn through all of that. Anything you'd add to that, Bronnie? No, that's, that's seriously comprehensive. It that's is. great. <laughs> no, Very long for the podcast. No, but not it's, at all. It's, it's, it's yeah. incredibly exciting. I remember that first, the very first workshop we had where it was kind of funny because all the researchers just ended up sitting on one side of the, of the, U, yeah. you know, the U shape and the lived experience on the other. Um, but it was, everyone walked out of that workshop just so enthusiastic because we realised that there was just as much um, appetite on both sides and uh, yes, there were things that we were kind of concerned about, but the researchers had almost the same concerns as the lived experience mm. people did and we worked out, walked out of that first workshop um, with a commitment to each other to... Um, to now have lived experience people informing what actually needs to be researched and um, a desire to work together. So, you know, it was a breakthrough. Brilliant work. Thank you so much for collaring me and getting it on the podcast and sharing it with people. Uh, yeah, really hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you.